0: So let me just join in in welcoming you and thanking you for bringing the church into these rooms. And uh, as Kevin and Linda did at the beginning, I I think that Kevin and Linda just need their own television show. It's the only thing I can figure out. Just too much to bottle up in a welcome. But we're so glad that you are here. And and, uh, just to tell you a couple of things as we get started here. First of all, just uh, one... Uh, As you know we have been in a couple of different series over the last um, uh, eight or nine months even. We went through a series in Philippians where we learned about the deep and abiding joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ and an ability to rejoice regardless of our circumstances. And that's really good news that God would want us to have that kind of perspective and We've gone through our seasons of Advent and then Lent and Easter and we've learned the, the grandness of God's plan in the midst of that and joy that comes from God himself coming and being here on this planet for a season of his own life so that we, in turn and follow his example. And we're embarking on another series that starts, you saw it on your worship guide or saw it on the screen, the Cultivate. We're calling this series Cultivate of how do we cultivate in ourselves and in one another an ability and a way to live a life that not only is pleasing to God, but do you know that God is concerned about your joy, but he's also concerned about your happiness as well. Because it's one thing, joy does not depend upon circumstances. We've learned that in Philippians. But we know that our life is made up of circumstances every single day, every moment. And so is there a way for us to find happiness in the midst of that circumstance? It's not about your best life now. It's about God's best given life now. And how we put that in us and live it through us. And so we're going to do this series, again, as Kevin and Linda mentioned to you, on the Beatitudes. And that's going to officially start next weekend. Pastor Matt will begin unpacking with you this this study of the Beatitudes. Again, this word is just a word that uh, is for us. And it means, it can mean a number of things. It's a blessing, yes. But it's a blessing that comes from Despite our circumstances, but in the midst of our circumstances, the way we can find happiness in Jesus. It's good news for us again that Jesus wants us to know what it means to be happy. And so in these uh, Beatitudes, if you will, they are, Charles Spurgeon preached a great sermon on this. I was really tempted just to memorize it and, and uh, preach it to you, but I got about two paragraphs in and realized I couldn't. Uh, but you can Google this. He preached several great sermons on the Beatitudes. Spurgeon was the prince of preachers, he was called. And he, his definition of the Beatitudes is it's the mark and character of a deep and abiding grace that lives down deep in our soul. It's the characteristics, though, that come out of our life. Not just the things that go into our life. It's what's in there that's gonna come out to other people. And with that, Spurgeon said, we are then blessed, or another translation of that is we are happy. Even though Pharrell wrote a great song about it, Jesus knew what it meant first, you know, that we are happy as a result of that. And so uh, today, my part of this is I want to give you kind of a backdrop to the backdrop, if you will. I'm going to teach you a beatitude that's not listed in the beatitudes that's, that are in Matthew 5. This is, that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I encourage you to look that up and read ahead before Pastor Matt teaches this to you next week. You'll be at, you'll be at the head of the class. You can answer all his questions. You know how he does that? When he says, who knows? The, you'll know all the answers. So look it up and read it. And come and just show him how much you know. It will encourage him to see that. But with that, today there's one beatitude that's not listed. Spurgeon says there are seven beatitudes in the Matthew 5 passage. If you count them, there are eight. He says one of them explains another one, but that's between you and Charles Spurgeon. I just want you to know there's another beatitude that's not listed, though, in the Matthew 5 section. And I'm going to teach you about that one today as kind of a backdrop because I think it actually summarizes most all of the other beatitudes. And the other thing that I need to tell you just in, in uh, setting you up to hear this is that the the main characters in this story that we're going to look at are John the Baptist and Jesus. You've heard of both of these guys, no doubt. John the Baptist was a guy who um, lived, he was was related to Jesus. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But John the Baptist was pretty much this wild kind of a beast of a man that lived out in the wilderness and he ate bugs and honey. I've not tried that. Maybe you have. But uh, he wore skins of animals. And he had one message. That message was repent and be baptized. Repent is probably not a word you hear much unless you're in downtown Orlando and those street preachers that do it all the time. You know. And, and repent is a thing that we've kind of forgot what it means. Repent is no small thing to do. Repent means to take whatever it is you're doing... And turn around and go the complete opposite direction that you're from where, where you're going. And the reason that I thought this would be appropriately titled "Breaking News" is that just to put you in mind of if you've ever been watching television and you're right at the point in the game that you're into or the soap opera man that you're watching, you know, and you get to this key part of it, and and the new, and the local news breaks in, breaking news, you know, and they usually have some little. Uh, Uh, annoying sound that goes with that, you know, breaking news. And if you've noticed, it's not ever good news that they break in with. It's always some tragedy that's happened. And they break in to your regularly scheduled program. Now, sometimes it's interesting, but rarely is it. And most of the time it's frustrating because we like our regularly scheduled programs, do we not? That's why we're watching them. Well, in the same way, when John the Baptist came on the scene... The people of that time were living out their regularly scheduled programs. They had a programmed understanding of what religion was all about, and they liked it. They wanted it. And they were doing their best to live according to that. And John the Baptist came in, and he had breaking news for them. He said, You're blowing it. Repent. And be baptized. Now, the Jews were baptized before this, but John gave a whole new meaning to what it meant to be baptized. His meaning was that in the baptism, you're, it's an, it was an outward sign of something you committed to insi- inside. And that repentance required that kind of, of outward expression of that. It was a breaking news item for people to hear that. And it was contrary to their regularly scheduled program that they were living their life according to. I want you to know that every one of us walked into every one of these rooms today with a regularly scheduled program going on in our hearts and in our minds. And I think that every time we get together, one of the reasons we get together is because God wants to break in to that. I think that in a way you came today, you came today because you want God to break in. You know you have that need. Something inside of you knows you have that need. And I've got good news for you today. When God breaks in, it's always good news that he brings because that's what his kingdom was all about. John the Baptist was the forerunner of this with Jesus. And John the Baptist, when he went out on the scene and began to preach and call people to repentance, people were struck by his words. Many thought he was the Messiah, and they asked him, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just the one that tells that he's coming. Some thought that he was Elijah because the Jews had been told that Elijah could come back and be a forerunner of the Messiah. And they said, so are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness to tell you that the Messiah is coming. And he didn't just mean the wilderness in terms of geography. He meant the wilderness of their life, of their soul, of their heart, their mind, the programmed way that they had come to understand religion and God and the way that works. And John the Baptist was the guy to say, Forget the way you've known how to do it. Repent of that, even. And be baptized. And this went along just fine until he did something that got him in a lot of trouble. John the Baptist would tell anybody the truth about anything in their life, he would tell you if your outfit didn't match. He would tell you if that's not a good hairstyle for you. He would tell you if those jeans, well never mind. He would tell you anything. And this got him into trouble because Herod, who was the guy in charge of the region there, he told Herod, and then he told anybody else that would listen, that Herod was living an immoral life. That he actually was living in adultery. That he was, he had taken his brothers, Herod had taken his own brother's wife, Away from his brother. His brother was still living and had begun a relationship with with her. And John the Baptist was telling Herod, he would yell at Herod as he walked through town. Herod quit walking through town. You know, he would tell audiences, crowds of people that Herod was immoral. And by the way, probably you are too, was a main thing that he would say. Got him in trouble. Herod got tired of hearing it. His wife got tired of hearing it too. And so they put John the Baptist in jail. In prison. And so John the Baptist was around for maybe the first year of Jesus' teaching, but then he was in prison for two years before eventually he was handed his own head on a platter. It's a pretty amazing story. I would encourage you to look it up and read the whole thing because it's poignant, it's drama, and it's real And it's in the Bible, and I think it's in there for a reason because it's one of those things that we don't really want to know about. I don't really want to know about that kind of stuff. If I was writing the Bible, I probably would have left that one out, to be honest with you. But it's there for a reason. It's one of the apologetics for Scripture itself. And so this scene, all of that to tell you these several verses occur in the midst of this incredible drama that's going on with John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist has heard about Jesus' last two years. And John is sitting in prison, and and it says this in Matthew 11, verse 2 and following. If you have a Bible, it's in your worship guide. It'll be on the screen. We just want you to know we're not making this stuff up, and so read along. And so it says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ... He sent word by his disciples. These were John the Baptist's disciples, part of his entourage, if you will. They were hanging out at the prison. That's how people were taken care of in prisons at that time. And they were hanging out there. And and so John sent his disciples to Jesus. and, And his disciples went and said to him, go say this to Jesus, he's saying, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Think about those words for a minute. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Remember, it's been sitting in prison two years, hearing stories. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, the disciples, and said, Go back and tell John this. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And then here's the beatitude. Here's the misplaced, forgotten beatitude. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Think about those words for just a second. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is Jesus sending this word to John. So what do you think is behind this? What's going on here? Well, let me give you just a little bit of history here on how they got to this point when John asked this poignant question, are you the one? Or shall we look for another? That word look is a transient verb that that tells us there's an object associated with it, but it has in it, our English doesn't do justice to it. Because within that, it's this word that indicates that there is a longing associated with this word. Should we look for another? This is what we've hoped for, but it indicates that he's doubting that this is the one that he was waiting for. And should we look for another? Do you ever do this in your life, the times in your life where you know you need some news, you need some breaking news, but you're not sure? You want the news you're going to get that there is this doubt, there's this longing, there's this lack of hope associated with it. And when John's saying this, it's an indication that he's hoping he'll get the right answer back. But he's afraid he won't. It's that it's those moments, we've all had those moments where we get those calls, you know, where your doctor's office calls and says... Hey, the blood work you did this week, need you to come in and we need to talk about that. And you have these moments of, like, ah, I know I need this news, but do I really want this news? Because it doesn't sound like good news. I had one of those moments actually yesterday morning. I, uh, I, I got up really early and I looked at my phone. And there was a text message from the Seminole County Sheriff's Office, which always gets your attention early in the morning, saying, can you take a call? And the message was left at 11.35 p.m. I was already asleep at that time. And so I had this, this moment of like, ah, you know, why, why are they calling me? You know, what, who, what do they want to know, you know? And so I waited a few minutes, and, I was, and finally I... I was thinking, well, I don't want to call back right now because whoever sent this message is probably off duty, maybe in bed, you know. I want this news, but I'm a little afraid, afraid to get it. Until finally I did, I did call, and it was really a wonderful thing. Uh, the I'm so proud of our Seminole County Sheriff's Department. They are, this tragedy that happened in Gilchrist County with these two, with this sergeant and this deputy, uh, Lucas and Ramirez, um, the funeral was Tuesday, and Seminole County Sheriff's Department is doing an incredible amount of support for that county to help them in, the, in this tragedy. And they called on Northland to offer some resources to help them help that that county. I'm so proud that they would do that. And so they were just calling to say, we want you guys to help us with this, which was actually in the midst of a great tragedy it was really great news to get because that's what we want to do. That's who we are. But it was still in the moments before I got that information, it, it was a little bit tense in my, in my heart in that moment. But those kind of things come to us all the time. So John, when he sends this message to Jesus, there's some tension in what he's saying to his disciples to go ask Jesus because when you think you have the answer that you're looking for and then you languish in a place of isolation, despair and discouragement for any amount of time, but especially for two years, you can imagine how that could easily fade away and be dispelled. And that was John's situation. Are you the one that we were hoping for? So you know that Jesus and John had some history between them. I mean, they, was, they were related in some way. I mean, they were, many. the King James Bible says they were cousins, but that's kind of like Kentucky cousins. In Kentucky, we're all cousins in one way or another. But, you know, that's kind of what it mean, meant back then as well, that we don't know exactly what their relationship, their familiar relationship was. Could have been second cousins could have been that Elizabeth was Mary's aunt. But, but the story you might remember uh, of uh, John's mother and father were Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest and Zechariah had this opportunity to go in and light incense in the Holy of Holies. They had never had a child and they were advanced in years. That's just code for it. They couldn't have children at their, at their age. And so they were, Zechariah, though, on the day that he has this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, an angel of the Lord shows up there and tells him that they're going to have a child. This has happened before in the Bible, and it would happen after. Tells him they're going to have a child, and Zechariah kind of talks back, and what the angel does, he seals his mouth so that he can't talk for like six months, Let me just tell you a life lesson here. If an angel ever shows up in your kitchen and tells you anything, don't talk back. You know, just say, got it. Can I write it down? You know, I'll do it. Zachariah, you know, pushed back a little bit on that. And so what happened was Zechariah and Elizabeth, though, they are, they become pregnant and, and John the Baptist, John, he wasn't John the Baptist yet, he was just John, you know, uh, in utero at that time. Not long after that, Mary is visited by an angel, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and she's told a similar thing and her response is different She says, may it be done to me as you say. That's the right answer. And so Mary becomes pregnant. And so the Bible tells us that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And in an incredible verse in Scripture, it's in Luke chapter 1 verse 44. As Mary comes in to Elizabeth's house, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. The Bible says, Luke 144, leaps for joy because the Messiah, even in utero, John knew, ah, this is the one. I don't have to look for anybody else. Leaps for joy. And then we don't know much about what happens in the the following years, but both of these guys grow up, Jesus and John. We don't know anything about John's childhood from scripture. We know from Jesus a couple of of points along the way of things that happened to him. They both grow up and they both go out to do what God has called them to do. John's I've already told you about. John's calling people to repent and be baptized. There comes a day where John is doing that. He's down at the Jordan River and he's telling people to repent and be baptized. And he's baptizing people. And guess who shows up? Jesus. Jesus. In John 1 it says that he looks out and sees Jesus. At first, he doesn't know who he is. And then he comes down and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a big statement, one of the biggest in Scripture. Behold, the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. Only one person qualifies for that title. That's the Messiah. So on that day there was no question in John's mind who this was. Are you the one? Or should we look for someone else? That day John was sure he was the one. And so he, Jesus comes to him and says, you know, I want you to baptize me. And John pushes back and says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You're the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus says, no, I want you to do it. I want you to do it and for a variety of reasons. Some he whispers to him. Some are said where other disciples could hear it. And so John does baptize him. And you might know the story. I would encourage you to look it up. Read the whole thing. It's fascinating. He he lifts him up out of the water and a dove descends upon Jesus and the heavens open and a voice from heaven comes out and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That day, John had no question about this is the one. Because if the heavens open and a voice comes and says that, there's no mystery that this is the one. You need not look for another. And then what happens, again, we don't know a lot about. We know that somewhere along the way, somewhere in the following months, John has this encounter with Herod. He gets put in prison. Jesus continues his ministry, his teaching, healing, feeding, raising from the dead ministry. And you can read through Scripture and see the amazing things that happened in the ministry that Jesus had. And no doubt some word of this would have gotten back to John the Baptist. I don't know that he was Baptist, he could have been Methodist, he could have been Lutheran, you know, whatever. He was the baptizer, though. But John, some of this word would have gotten back to John that what was going on with Jesus, some of it would be his disciples coming and saying, You're not going to believe. What happened today? You know, and, and there, because it was a powerful ministry. And in fact, the part of this that you need to not miss is the power associated with the word and, and preaching and activity that Jesus demonstrated in these couple of years leading up to this encounter, this final encounter with John. You can read through this in, Math, in, the, in, in all the Gospels, but in Matthew 8, I just wrote down some of the ways that Jesus showed his power in what he was doing. This was no small, local kind of soft spoken ministry that Jesus did when he was teaching. He was filled with gentleness and compassion, yes, but Jesus was doing powerful work. In fact, you can go through in Matthew 8, 1 through 7, he demonstrates his power over disease. In, in 18 to 27, his power over nature. In 28 to 34, his power over Satan. In 9, 1 through 17, his power over sin itself. In 18 is his power over death. In 27 is his power over darkness, spiritual darkness. And in nine thirty-two, his power over demons. And then in chapter 10, it's where Jesus begins to impart all this to his disciples and saying, this power that I have can be in you. All the things you've seen me do you too can do in the power of my name. My great name can transfer this power to you. Well, word of this must have gotten back to John in some way, some version of it. But through this power that Jesus had, and you can go through, this was all the fulfillment of prophecy If you have a good study Bible, you can see where every one of these connections relate back to a prophetic word from the Old Testament that had been given from various prophets, primarily Isaiah. In Isaiah, you can see all of these of how the lame will leap and the lepers are cured and the deaf will hear and the dead will be raised and the good news will be preached to the poor. A favorite passage of mine in this is Isaiah chapter 61. And there's this poignant scene that takes place in the scriptures where Jesus comes back to his hometown of Nazareth and does an extraordinary thing, a thing of great power. Have you ever gone back to your hometown? To do anything of great power that you can tell about. You know, we all have this image growing up of, you know, someday I'm going to get out of this one horse town, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to become famous and I'm going to come back. This is maybe my fantasy, not yours. But, you know, I'm going to go do something big and then I'm going to come back to my hometown. And all those people, you know, that, that beat me up when I was a kid and made fun of me when I was a teenager, you know, they're going to feel bad that I become a big deal. And I'm not paying any attention to that was Again, I'm not proud of that. It's just my brothers will tell you that's true. But I had one of the, I had an occasion like this in my life. Um, I had, I had been and not a big deal, but I had been on this musical journey that I was pursuing for a while and had been on this tour, a tour around the country. And I came back to my hometown and my brother trying to do me a favor said, hey, listen, you've come back. Uh, there, how about I set up a, play, a time for you to sing, you know, here in your hometown? And I said, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I'd be glad to do that for the little people in my hometown. <laughs> and so he set it up because there was a horse show going on. And he said, what we'll do is we'll have the horse show and then we'll have it take a break in the horse show. And, and you can sing and it'll be great. And I was like, that'll be awesome. Be glad to do it. So here's what I didn't factor in. You know why people go to horse shows? Horses. Not music. And so we, we had this little stage. And, and I don't know if you remember that scene from the Blues Brother movie where, you know, they're playing, I think it was, uh, where I think the guy that owned the place was named Bob, I should look this up, you know, and his big thing is we've got both kinds of music, country and Western, and, you know, and then the Blues Brothers, you know, play, and they have that chicken wire in front of them, people throwing beer bottles at them and stuff. That was my, that was my scene right there. You know, I'm getting up there thinking I'm going to sing these amazing, deep, melancholy songs to these guys that only cared about horses. You know, they just wanted to hear horses, and so I just thought, Well, I'll probably never sing in my hometown again. And I think Jesus might have had some of those moments where he thought, I don't know if I can go back to my hometown again, because there were plenty of times where people said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But sure enough, one of the most culminating moments in in Jesus's earthly ministry happened in Nazareth. When he comes back, it's recorded in Luke 4 where Jesus comes to Nazareth, it says, where he had been brought up. Luke wanted us to be sure to remember that. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. This would have been Isaiah 61 in our numbers. I didn't use numbers back then. And the scroll of of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says in verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Up to this point, this would have been a normal thing for a rabbi to do in the temple, to read from a scroll of an Old Testament prophet. Uh, That's all they had at that time was the, uh, the scrolls from the prophet. But then Jesus did an amazing thing, an extraordinary thing. It says, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was an extraordinary thing to say. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It had to have been electric in that temple at that time, long before they had electricity because people at first were saying, wow, this is a really good thing coming out of our hometown boy. It didn't stay that way though. They, got, they turned another direction on him. But I'm guessing that John heard something about this. And somewhere along the way, his optimism began to fade. His hope began to fade. And here he was languishing in prison And he's wondering, are you the one? Or should we, shall we, look for another? There's lots of ways when Jesus got that word that he could have responded back to John. He could have just ignored John. He could have sent one of those angels to show up in John's cell, you know, and just tell him, yeah, he's the one. He could have done any number of things. But I think what Jesus sent back to him was a message of great encouragement to John. It sounds a little bit like a rebuke, but it's not, I don't think. I think in fact what he's sending back to John is this thing that John had longed for. You know, when he said that the blind can see, the lame can walk, the deaf can hear, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Do you know the one thing he left out from that passage was, and the captives are freed. He doesn't tell him that because that wasn't gonna be John's deal. He was not gonna get out of jail physically, but he was gonna get freed eternally. And then Jesus's words and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I think was not only for John but was for those disciples of John going back to John and it's for us today. Because this beatitude if you want to know how to be happy deep down in your character, let me just assure you that you can't live a life of happiness while you're offended by anyone or by anything. Offense always is something that drives wedges in between people. We get offended. And would you not agree that we live in a culture that's kind of an offense-driven culture? I mean, we get offended at everything. Somebody cuts us off on I-4, we get offended for very good reasons, but we get offended, right? Somebody on another side, I see you poking each other, you know, uh, Somebody on, a, on one side of a political party says something, and we get offended by that. Somehow we think we have a right to, our side has got to be right. Sorry about you. I'm offended that you would think I'm not right. I've been, I was talking to some folks last night about this, you know, and social media is one of those places where we do this continuously, and it, and it becomes this obnoxious thing. That we offend one another because we don't even look at each other and we offend each other by the things we say about whether we like something or don't like it. I, I, I know you, I said this last night, already got emails, so save, save your emails. Uh, I, I know what you, some of you think about this, but I made the comment that, you know, Marco Rubio, Where it doesn't matter which end of the political spectrum you're on, Marco Rubio puts a scripture post up on Twitter every day. And if you read the, the messages that are, under, that are following just that scripture text, it's, it's incredible that people are so offended. People on, on different ends of the spectrum there. You know, they're so offended. Some of the comments are so vile. They're ad hominem arguments where they're just, you know, assassinating his character because he would put up a scripture reference. People are offended by that. You know, just delete him. Don't follow him. Just let him do his thing with, with scripture. I was watching, I don't know if you saw yesterday the Barbara Bush funeral. What a beautiful expression of celebrating a life worth, uh, well lived. This lady who uh, had so much um, going on in her lifetime here, the enforcer. But I loved the scene in that church, St. Martin's Church, I love that choir hearing the songs. I don't know if you listened to it, but Connie and I were just scrolling through, and I was actually looking for a ball game, and she said, Stop, stop. You know, and, and eh, I'm kind of offended. You want to stop? I mean, and so I, I, we stopped, and I then couldn't, I couldn't quit watching. I was just so fascinated by it. But you know what fascinated me more than anything? Yeah, not, that's not true. I was fascinated by a lot of things, but one of the things that I couldn't quit thinking about. Is so in one front in the front row of one side of the sanctuary was all the Bush family. On the other side, so you you know where I'm going here, on the other side was just this amazing collection of people, including, do you know who Melania Trump was seated right beside? Barack Obama. Is that awesome or what? Now don't write me emails. I understand the irony of that. I mean, but but the thing that got me was I kept saying to Connie, you know, what do you think they're talking about? You know, I mean, what's she gonna say to him? You know, and what's he gonna say to her? You know, have, can I show you my birth? Never mind. No, uh, no, no. Sorry. It's I've been here a long time today. I'm tired. I didn't said that to any other congregation. But, you know, but what would they talk about? And I just couldn't help but keep thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be awesome if this is just how it was? If we just, regardless of our political opinions, if we could just sit with one another and celebrate something beyond ourselves, wouldn't it just be awesome if we had that kind of civility, if offense didn't keep us? from that kind of relationship because the thing that offense does it always divides us it always separates us it always removes us I did a quick scan I just did a quick survey of just different ways in scripture that we have seen this work in in offense you know and uh, starting from beginning before time you know Satan was, uh, was Lucifer was in heaven, uh, was in a version of heaven. It's gonna, I'm, you're going to have to look this up for yourselves, but uh, I've done my own study and I'm confident in it. Uh, but you know he was, in, a, he was in, in heaven and he was offended by the glory of God. It's in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 if you want to study more. But he was offended by the glory of God, which eventually got him kicked out at removed from heaven. And then God created the earth and all that it contains. And so there's a garden, and Adam and Eve are there. And so Satan comes, and because of his offense, he passes it on to Eve and then to Adam and says, Well, aren't you offended that God has this tree in the middle of the garden and you're not allowed to eat from that? Doesn't that offend you? And they ate of that fruit and they were expelled from the garden, they were removed from that presence of God that they had had. They had two sons, Cain and Abel. It's in Genesis 4. You know, one of them, God revered his sacrifices more than the other. And so they were, Cain was offended. So he kills Abel and removes him from their family, from life itself. Again, Offense. Does that? Remember the story of Joseph and his brothers in Genesis 37. Joseph, who has many brothers and is favored by his father, gets this really wonderful coat, you know, made of many colors. And his brothers were really offended by that. And then Joseph then kind of adds to that because he comes down one morning to breakfast and says, I had a dream last night, crazy dream. Dreamed that all y'all are going to be bowing down before me. Might as well go ahead and get started with that because, you know, I'm greatly to be honored here. And so his brothers were, I have brothers, they would, I know they would be offended by that if I said that to them. You know, and so his brothers were offended. And so they go out in a field and they throw him in a well and then they sell him to traders and he ends up in Egypt. And so, but the offense, it all works out in the end. Read the story, it's a fascinating story in Genesis 37. But it ends up well for Joseph and his family, but that offense separated their family, divided divided their family. Saul and David. You know this story, 1 Samuel 19. Saul who is the first king of Israel and then David comes along who is a man after God's own heart and Saul is ticked off. He's offended because God seems to like David more. There are reasons he does. Read the story. And, I mean Saul you know, throws a spear at David one night while David's just trying to play a melancholy song for him. I think. It might have been a horse show. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> But whatever, you know, Saul is offended by David, wants to kill him, chases him around. David has his own troubles, his own son, Absalom. There's an offense in their family as well. It goes on and on. And brothers and sisters, we live in the curse of that offense, of those offenses. That's what divides us from God and from one another because our tendency always, just like it was with John the Baptist, was to isolate. He had no choice about that. But he isolated his heart in the process of being isolated physically. And he didn't respond to this perceived offense he had, didn't know what to do with it. Some of you, all of us, live with some sense of that in our life. There are people you haven't talked to in years. You don't even remember why. They offended you. You've gone away. You've separated. Or maybe you were the offender and it's just easier to stay away. That's not what Jesus taught us we are to do with offense, with God or with one another. We're to move near, and so God came near to us to break down the dividing walls of hostility, of offense, and brought us to Himself in the process. And likewise, Jesus taught us in Matthew 18 that when we're offended, that the goal is not to lean away, but to lean in, to lean in toward the offender. Even it's counterintuitive like most of the breaking news that Jesus had for what the kingdom looks like, to lean into the offense and the person and go and win the brother back. Read the rest of it, Matthew 18. Even the conclusion of that teaching that he does in Matthew 18 is how we treat them is we treat them like somebody that needs to be pursued, not alienated. But that's what offense always does, And so this beatitude, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It partially means that we can't dissect what we want to take of the kingdom of God and what we don't want to take. Because the parts of it that offend us push us away from the parts that we want to like in our life. And Jesus says, you can't do that. You can't serve two kingdoms. You only can have one kingdom. And so lean in to it. And what happens then when we get into our study, when we begin to cultivate what these beatitudes look like in our lives, is that we will rid ourselves of the offenses in our lives They will at least be distanced from us and instead will lean in toward one another. Sometime, if you have a version of the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, Peterson paraphrases these Beatitudes with wonderful language. Let me give you just a couple of examples. In Matthew 5, 3, this is a paraphrase of, of of the first Beatitude. You're blessed or happy when you're at the end of your rope with less of you there is more of God. That's how you're blessed. The next one is, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with what, just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you fi- find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. And it goes on from there and you'll hear him week to week. But all of this to say, if you're asking the question today, are you the one? Or should we look for another? Jesus has come to us to say, if you think I'm not the one, it probably is related to some kind of offense in your life. Some place you've been offended by a person or God himself. Because God has not shown up for you in the way you thought he should or must. And so our only way to respond to that is to find out how do we lean in to this? How do we lean in to this kingdom that has broken in to our world? How do we lean in? Well, we've always thought that one of the main things we can do to lean in is as individuals to lean in to the margins of society for us. Because we've learned that as a church, that the way we live with one another is, it's not about me living my best life now, it's about us living our best life together now. That's the kingdom. That's the breaking news that God has given to us. And so as a church, we've looked for ways we can do that by showing up in places where there are disasters and showing up in in human trafficking situations and showing up in homeless situations and showing up with the parts of our family that have unique needs in their lives. In life hope cottages for single moms who need child care. Those are the ways we've tried consistently to show up. And we want to tell you from time to time those stories. I want to give you one just briefly this morning and, and have you think about this. Because the way we show up, the actions that come out of our lives determine the way we see the blessings of God in our lives. And so one of the ways that we have seen this happen is, is literally through our access ministry. We've got a lot of those folks right over here right now. Yes, and we love them, and yeah. <laughs> and part of our folks who are part of that, part of our family uh, worship with us up in the upper room as well, and, and they are a part of our family. There is a family that leaned in to this part of our ministry here, the Damari family. And they allowed us, in fact encouraged us to tell their story. We tell it with great respect for them. And they wanted the story told because they were hoping it would be an encouragement to some of you. So this is a Northland story. So take a look at this.
1: He was communicating through me, hey, this is a place where you'll get what I want, you know, spiritually out of being back into a church and then getting my boys connected with someone where they will be accepted in life again.
2: John was diagnosed with autism at two and a half.
1: Joseph, he really enjoys helping and giving back.
2: Anxieties or his worst fear. Um, he, When he can't understand something or he's overwhelmed, he just shuts down. These kids are so hard to be accepted in public. It's not their fault, they're autistic. I found Northland through Boy Scouts. Um, one of the members there of the church is involved in the OA and they came to OA meeting in February and asked if we could help See, uh, joy program.
1: So, me and John were there for like three hours helping and I was, the people that were helping put all the furniture back and everything were so welcoming of John that I was with one group of people and then all of a sudden he was off with another group helping moving things and everything and he was perfectly fine, comfortable being with them. So that was first eye-opening. For me and saying, okay, well, he's already being accepted. And then just as we're passing Northland is when the words come out of my mouth to tell him as we were driving someplace, I need to get back to church. Because we haven't been back in at church because of Joseph not being able to go to church um, with his condition um, for over a year. I haven't gone at all. And beyond that, it hasn't been anything on a regular basis. And it says, I need it.
2: And I said, I work at Home Depot and I said, honey, they're in all the time buying supplies to go mow people's yards, to feed the homeless, to go to an area where there's been a disaster uh, with truckloads of equipment. So they're into helping anybody and everybody who needs help in this world. And that's what I want to get involved in if I do.
1: Well, John loved the joy prom. When we picked him up, he goes, I go again next year? And I says, fantastic. So that was on the Saturday night. So on the Sunday, we and Mike went the first time just ourselves to see what the services were like at Northland. Being able to go in and worship, and knowing that my boys were in a safe place, I just had this total inner peace come over me. Joseph, he really enjoys helping and giving back. And I'm glad now John's getting something out of it. He loves Mr. Rick.
2: Um, he won't read to us ever. Um, and Mr. Rick says he's reading out of the Bible and not missing a beat. So he can read a lot more than he's ever let on. He says he doesn't have a problem volunteering and has not really stuttered at all. He's only missed a couple words. He's, he's amazing.
1: Someone had brought us to Northland for a reason. And I'm so thankful to the Lord for that.
0: So that's Mr. Rick is right over here, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) So do you get it? Do you see the difference between being offended and being separated from people versus leaning in. I think that when John the Baptist came to the end of his life that he was at peace because he had gotten the answer from Jesus about what it means to be a blessing. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That blessing is something that each of us carry around with us everywhere we go. And it comes from power. That's the thing that I think we get confused on sometimes. It's the power of the great strong name of Jesus Christ himself who lives in us. And so brothers and sisters, we're going to sing a song of benediction about that. And I want you to know that following that, there will be some folks in the front of this room here to pray with you about anything at all in your life that you need to pray about. Don't forget to stop and connect with the Connections team back in the foyer, especially if you're new or you have questions, we'd love to connect with you before you go. But would you stand and let's together celebrate the great name of Christ our Savior.